0: It's March 11th, 2021, and we are at the beginning of Women's History Month. What better way to celebrate women than to discuss the one thing that is the most extraordinary and miraculous event a woman can accomplish, and only a woman can accomplish, which is giving birth. The birthing process has been a sacred event throughout time. Bringing precious life into this world. And women to this day are still very uninformed with many different forms of giving birth. So, today we're talking with Bliss Young. She is also an extraordinary human on this planet and has been a midwife for a good part of two decades. She has brought many babies into this world and discusses with us the safety and efficacy of a natural birthing process. Did you know that the United States is one of the highest on the list of countries where women die giving birth or the baby dies too? I mean, you'd think with our healthcare system, we would be in the bottom of that list, but we're not. In today's episode, we discuss that, the laws surrounding midwifery, and the gut-wrenching loss that Bliss had to endure when she lost her own child to a tragic event. The journey of life can be a crazy ride, and today we celebrate how it all begins with women and the birthing process here on Uncommon Medicine. Welcome to Uncommon Medicine. I am so, so, so happy that you're here. Not only have I the opportunity to get in touch with you again after not seeing you for many years after leaving Mm -hmm. California, because I just adore you as a friend and as a person, but now I get to actually pick your brain as an expert in a field that I find to be fascinating and that more people need to learn about, which is the ancient form of midwifery and doula give us more information about your center let me just start there because if i'm not mistaken you yes. opened the only freestanding birth center in los angeles and it was the only one of its kind in the entire mm-hmm. count count blah, in the entire country i promise my tongue will catch up to my brain <laughs> it's it's early <laughs> it, is, it is so tell tell me what makes it uh, unique and how you got started and what was your inspiration to create your center
1: Oh, wow. So the Sanctuary Birth and Family Wellness Center was opened in, um, we were a home birth practice from 2006 to 2010, and then the birth center was opened. Um, The birth centers have been around for a long time, but unfortunately, they open and close often because what makes someone a good midwife doesn't necessarily make them a good Business owner, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I came in collaborating with um, the midwives who had helped deliver my last two children with a previous birth center called the Hollywood Birth Center, and they asked me to come and help um, be their business manager. And I said, um, "If so, we're going to open another birth center because there weren't any birth centers in LA at the time." And so we sat in my living room and envisioned what would be the most. Perfect center that we could imagine. Um, And what we wanted to do was collaborate. And so we wanted to have a lot of integrative um, collaboration between people like yourself, chiropractors, acupuncturists, um, massage therapists, lactation consultants, hypnotherapists, um, doulas. We had, um, we had, we closed it in 2015, by the way. It's no longer open. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was a, I'll talk a little bit more about that, but that was a fantastic, um, personal decision for me to close it. Gotcha. Um, And, um, but we had a, uh, wellness boutique that was an eco boutique. So we had things like cloth diapers and all kinds of supplements Uh, and and books. And, and we also had what we called a wisdom and movement studio. So it was a yoga studio for prenatal yoga and things like that, but also childbirth education and, um, professional, um, lectures and stuff like that. So it was amazing and beautiful. And I'm so glad that we did it. Um, And I didn't want to be doing business every day. I really Mm. wanted to be working with clients and doing the one-on-one. So I started my own private home birth practice. And my partner, Alex Evangelidi also went off and did her own private practice. And um, there's a lot more um, individuality that we can do with our care when it's not such a big production with so many moving parts.
0: Yeah, that I, I see that a lot in my industry, too. You know, the, the guys that have been chiropractors for decades and they, they're seeing, you know, hundreds of people a week or even sometimes even 100 people a day. I don't, I couldn't possibly do that. But, you know, you, you get that burnout and you also just it, it is it's exhausting to run the business part when. Yeah. Most people that go into, especially alternative medicine and integrative medicine, you know, we're we're natural born givers and healers anyway. So you know, we're not the ones that like to necessarily look at all the spreadsheets with our statistical data of finances and you know how how the bills are being paid. That's just not the fun space for any of us. So I can yeah. completely understand, and I did that same shift myself. You know, that's one of the reasons I left California was to change my business model too. So it makes sense when you know you feel it in your heart and you have more to give, it just sometimes needs to be in a different way. So I, I totally can see that transition making sense for you. Absolutely. Yeah, and
1: the work, you know, the work-life balance, right? Like yeah when we yeah. give deeply the way that we do, when you do work that is mind, body, spirit, you really have to take very good care of yourself in order to really be able to hold that space for another individual.
0: Absolutely. So you have to yeah. have the time to do it. Absolutely. Take yeah. us back to, you know, what you had to learn to be able to give the way you do, you know, the, the science behind midwifery I just love saying that word now that I know how to say it properly midwifery (laughs) (laughs) I've been saying it wrong my whole life like that's so this is why things need to change this is why you're on uncommon medicine so we can educate people about this yeah Uh, so there is a long road of education behind what you do please give us more of What you went through, what you had to learn, certifications, education, what there is involved with becoming the practitioner that you are?
1: Um, Well, I would say that my my path to becoming a midwife was over 20 years in reality, um, because It took me a while to really be uh, willing to be that person that stepped into the responsibility of being the main practitioner in someone's home that you know, sometimes needs to do life-saving measures. There's not a button on the wall where I can call in, you know, people to come and take over for a baby or for a mom. It's I'm the one who's responsible for the, the dyad for both of them. So, um, and my children were little and it's, you know, to be a midwife, you have to be, unless you're in a, a, you know, working in a hospital where you have shifts or you have a big team of people like we did at the sanctuary, Um, you're on call 24 seven. So, you know, you miss birthdays, you miss holidays, you kind of have to go on the fly. So having being a single mom with little children, it just didn't feel like it was the right time. And historically, um, before midwives became a profession, you know, in, in our villages, it was the wise women, the women who had gone through this already, who, who had lived some life who were the ones that held the space for the women in the village to have sure. their children makes yeah. sense yeah that makes yeah. sense um so it took a while for me at, to have the life experience that I felt like I was ready for that
0: role. I get that I get that Do you, uh, were there any like standard courses that you had to take or or oh for that sure all about? so
1: Yeah. So once I stepped into making the decision, I had seen a lot of um, women go before me. So I knew how I wanted to do it and not make some mistakes that they had made. So I went to a, um, there's a lot of distance programs for midwifery in terms of the didactic work where you, they send you modules, you do the modules, you send them back. Um, And I really wanted to do something in person. So there's a midwifery school in San Diego. I live in Los Angeles. And um, so I had to go to San Diego every Friday for three years, drive down in the morning, be okay, that is no
0: joke. <laughs> for anybody that doesn't live in California, that's like, it seems like a really short trip, but it never is because the traffic is crazy on the 405. So
1: just- It was a seven hour commute every Friday yeah. for three wow. years. Yeah. Um. So that was quite a commitment, just that in itself. And then, you know, you we'd get modules, we'd do our homework, um, and then we would go back and, you know, do it again. Um, and during that time, you also are doing a preceptor or an apprenticeship. So I had preceptors and you work for free, just like any other apprenticeship that you've heard, like, you know, a, of a black, a blacksmith or, you know, something like that, where they're yeah. teaching you the hands-on skills. So different people will take a different amount of time, depending on what's happening in their life to do those kind of, checklist of certain skills and certain numbers, a certain amount of observes, a certain amount of assists, a certain amount where you're the primary caregiver um, and someone's supervising you. Um, But I was able to, you know, because I had watched other people do this, I was able to do it in three years. Um, And I took my, you have a board exam, we're licensed by the medical board. So it's the same licensing board that licensed obstetricians. Okay. Um, Gotcha. I'm what's called a um, CPM. So I'm a certified professional midwife in terms of the national um, licensure. And then okay. here in California, I'm called a licensed midwife. Gotcha. So there are other kinds of midwives. There's certified nurse midwives mm-hmm. that are nurses first. They learn through the the medical model. Right. And then they they are licensed by the nursing board. So in some ways, we're similar We're all called midwives, but certified nurse midwives tend to be kind of still from that medical mindset where licensed midwives tend to be more kind of holistic, um, uh, specializing more in things like herbology. And a lot of us have, you know, a lot of the mind, body, spirit integration that happens inside of our practice.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between an MD and a chiropractor. Basically, absolutely primary healthcare provider status, but you just Mm -hmm. the approach of, of using what nature has to offer first before going to drugs and surgery. Bottom line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah.
1: So, um, it was a big deal that the, the test that I took was an eight hour test. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like any professional getting a
0: a license. Yeah, Yeah.
1: It's like board exams. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a two day
0: process generally. So Yeah. yeah.
1: So very different than a doula. I know you were um, wondering like the difference between a yeah. doula and a midwife. So what a doula is a difference. Yeah. So a doula, um, I think by definition is called um, to serve woman. And it's basically to be there for the educational, um, emotional, and physical support of a woman in labor. So okay. they don't do anything medical that's outside of their scope. Um, so I did do a lot of doula work before I got licensed just to kind of, you know, understand what it's like to be on call and to really know how to be with a woman, you know, for hours and hours and support them physically and emotionally. Um, doulas mostly practice in the hospital, although they love doing home births. Um, I'm a home birth midwife. I don't practice in the hospital. And, um, and I would say anybody who's wanting to do a natural birth in the hospital, um, should hire a, a doula if they can, because it, what we do a lot is advocate for women to be able to be seen as an individual and have their desires mm. heard and respected
0: in the mm-hmm. hospital model. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big one. Uh, yeah, it's one of the um, blessings and curses of, of our hospital system. You know, the technologies and and what we have available to us are really amazing. But Patient care and the connectivity to actual individual needs is a huge, huge issue. Absolutely,
1: yeah. And especially, you know, if you look statistically at what's happening in maternity care here in in the states, we're um, our our numbers are really terrible when it comes to maternal and infant mortality and morbidity. We're like one of the last pe- um, countries in the world.
0: Seriously. Seriously. I had not. I did not know this data. Um, so yeah. you're telling me that our country, which is doubted as one of the best healthcare systems in the world, has one of the highest rates of infant mortality, infant
1: and maternal mortality, and morbidity. oh my god, yeah, wow, yeah. Wow. So something's something's not right, right? We spend seven times yeah. uh, per capita more on healthcare, and yet. Our statistics are terrible, especially for Black and Brown bodies, which have like a three to four times higher rate of yeah. having death during pregnancy than a white woman would. So, these are big, big, big things that we are um, not addressing. And you know, like I said, I've been around for over twenty years. My eldest is twenty eight, um, and I watched my sister <laughs> deliver her baby thirty five years ago or something. Ah, so, well, yeah. not much has changed in that amount of time.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's okay. That just kind of makes me sit here with my mouth open just a little bit. I, that That's a huge smack to the face that really needs to be brought to more people's attention. That and, and, you know, we were just talking about this before we got started with the podcast, just kind of getting caught up. But I really want to know more about why why is it still so difficult to get information about midwifery and 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 even or to practice it in states like is it aren't isn't it illegal in some states um, well <laughs> and what's that we, about you know why
1: I think why you have to go back to the history of midwifery you know and how most of us were 100 years ago were born at home I mean that they, we were we were all born at home right um and so it When medicine started here in the States and midwifery started to get pushed out, you you know, you talk about the patriarchal um, perspective Mm -hmm. of, you Mm -hmm. know, it's safer to be born in the hospital um, and it was cleaner. And, you know, that that perspective kind of took over and um, they used a lot of propaganda to make midwives look Uneducated and dirty. You know, we can go back to the Salem witch trials, where um, you know a lot of healers and midwives were considered witches and were burned. They like right. this is this is the history of of our you know our our yeah. uh, profession, so to speak. So in the seventies, there was a uh, woman. Her name was Ina May Gaskin. She was a kind of a hippie and they did a caravan from San Francisco to Tennessee and created a community there. There's still a birth center there called the farm. And she um, kind of breathed life back into this, this profession of midwifery. And so we've been fighting for, to be able to practice ever since. So there's a lot of legislation Right. Um, it's, be- it's become a profession. In some ways, that's good. And in some ways, it's not um, because it starts to like, for example, there was a woman, there's a a law that was passed in California about four years ago that limited the scope of what midwives could do because before that, we had to have a doctor supervise us. And as you were saying we're two different professions. That's like having a doctor supervise a, you know, a chiropractor, right? Like we see things differently. So that shouldn't be happening. Um, So we got that off of our, our licensure, but they limited what the scope was of when a midwife could care for a pregnant woman. So they said between 37 and 42 weeks, we'll consider normal. So now a woman who gets to 42 weeks in her gestation now has to go to the hospital. She's forced to go to the hospital. She doesn't have a choice. So she can either deliver at home by herself without anybody attending her, or she has to make the decision to go and get medical treatment against her will. So in some ways, licensure sounds great. And in other ways, it's taking um, choice away from women and really... That the the power and autonomy, bodily autonomy, should always be in the individual's hands, and government really shouldn't be dictating how we care for ourselves.
0: One hundred percent agree. That is, yeah. So. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a frustrating place to be. And when you know when you do do the work that you do, and you see the results, and you see how much of an impact you have, and how professional it is, and and to then just have that ripped away from some piece of paper that was mostly written by men that have no concept of what the entire process is about anyway. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a very frustrating, frustrating thing to, to go through. And, and I'm, I'm just really grateful that you're putting up the fight though, you know, like the more <laughs> you can tell people about it and the more we can get this information out, the more women can have choices to make that are healthy for themselves and the babies, and I, I wanted I wanted to bring this back around to another one, one of your um, one of your specialties because this is something that I I find fascinating and how how would you even deal with this at home? You know, a lot of people think that giving birth at home is super dangerous, and you know, what if all these things happen? But you're you're certified in taking care of breach and twins and v Tell us about each of those kinds of scenarios should they pop up in in a birthing process? And how you well, do un,
1: it? With- unfortunately, again, the licensure, I am trained to deliver breaches and twins, but here in California, when they passed that same law that I was just talking about, mm-hmm. they took away our ability as midwives in California. Um, to be able to deliver breaches and twins. So I work with a doctor here um, and that's his specialty. He only does home birth now. He worked in the hospital for 30 years. Um, He's the doctor that I do Dr. Stu's podcast with. Um, So people who want to learn more about what we do can definitely listen to that. Um, We talk about all kinds, all of these things that you're um, discussing in detail every week. Um, so, but the thing that you should know is the thing that I like to start with when we talk about the safety of home birth is that birth is not a medical event. It's a physiologic function of our body. And we are mammals, just like a cat or a cow. And our bodies are designed to be able to deliver our babies safely, most of the time, statistically, without anyone else even around. So A big difference of the midwifery model and the traditional Western obstetrical model is that my my belief system is that any of the interventions that we bring into a woman's birthing space affects the ability for her hormones, which is the main thing that triggers, initiates um, labor to start, and that keeps that pattern moving forward. It's like An ecosystem in nature, right? If we put a dam in to a water body of water, it's going to affect all kinds of things around that ecosystem. Right. right. Um, So it's the same with childbirth. Um, So, yes, interventions can be life saving. And when they're used judiciously, they're amazing. And when I do need to transport to a hospital and collaborate with a doctor for a more high risk situation, I'm so grateful that we have those things available, but not respecting what's actually happening and, and understanding. I think in some ways the, the conversation about what's happening with the hormones in our body is not even really part of the learning nutrition, nutrition's not part of what they learn as obstetricians. Um, Breastfeeding is not what they learn as obstetricians. So, um, In other countries, um, mostly European countries, where midwives are the primary caregivers, we specialize in normal, healthy birth. So that's our specialty. Doctors, if you look at the definition, obstetricians specialize in pregnancy-related illness and surgery. So, if we, if we look at the model where the statistics are much better, like England, Denmark, Switzerland, you know, midwives take care of low-risk moms, and they support them emotionally, physically, they, they help their growing family, you know, all of that. It's all included. Relationship issues, all of that. Um, and much better postpartum care, by the way, because that's where a lot of the deaths happen here in the States is when you're released Mm. from the hospital, you don't have anybody that you're seeing for six weeks. So, and then if something is complicated, if someone does develop gestational diabetes that can't be managed or cholestasis or, you know, something like that, then we would transfer them into the care of a doctor. The reality is this is one of the reasons why um, midwifery is probably not more utilized, is because culturally, we see images in the media and we and we hear stories of hospital birth, and so we all think that birth is hospital birth, and they're two very very separate things. So when you put things in a woman's body, like pitocin, which augments labor. It's a synthetic form of oxytocin. So it it makes labor go faster or starts labor um, or an epidural or any of the drugs that are used in the hospital. Sometimes a woman's body or the baby that's in her body respond adversely to those medications. So we've all heard these stories of what happens if a baby all of a sudden isn't doing great and you don't have a C-section right down the road, right down the hall. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And The reality is at home, when we're not pushing past normal, we don't see those things happen like that. If a baby's not doing well, we hear a progression over time and we're like, you know what?
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: This baby's not loving labor. We should be in the hospital where you have
0: those things available. Very Um, interesting. So what what would be some of those signs? How do you, what, what would you look for? What are the nuances that you tune into when you're in this process?
1: Well, I think the thing to remember too, as a licensed midwife, we come with a whole bunch of things. We come with oxygen, um, IV materials, antibiotics, um, oxygen. If, if we need to be sutured, I can suture you. We have numbing, um, agents so that I'm doing that with, you know, a topical anesthesia. Um, and I have antihemorrhagic drugs. So if, if and I'm monitoring the baby with what's called a handheld Doppler. So it's intermittent monitoring rather than continual fetal monitoring, which is what happens in the hospital. Um, so I'm trained to know what's normal and what's not normal. And um, the doctor that I work with, he does says this great analogy that I really love. It's like, if you lived in a house for 40 years you went out to dinner and you walked into the foyer and the chair was slightly askew and you walked in, you know, because you know what normal is. And so that's how it is for us. We know what normal looks like. And when something's not normal, it's very, it's like a, it's like an instrument that's out of tune. You sure. know? Yeah. yeah. So, Makes so sense. there are patterns that we listen to with the Doppler that we know if a baby is normal, there's a normal range, there's normal patterns. And you know, we're not interested in taking risk with anybody's lives either.
0: Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. If it's
1: more prudent to, you know, get medical help, then that's what we do.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah, there's so much behind this that even I'm still learning. So thank you so much for articulating it so precisely.
1: You're welcome. I <laughs> mean, they, I, could, yeah. I could go on forever. You I'm know? sure. <laughs> Don't I know. get me I know.
0: started. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the best part. That's the best part. <laughs> now, was um, something I find really interesting, uh, just from my, my perspective as, as a chiropractor, is the movement towards more people wanting to hold on to their stem cells, because we're finally mm-hmm. able to do that now. And mm-hmm. I, I was reading that you have um, a service that involves the placenta. And I realized, mm-hmm. you know, that is that for this the purpose of the stem cells or what 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 is that service exactly entail?
1: No, but you could do cord blood banking. There, there are lots of different companies that provide that service. So if someone wanted to do cord blood banking, um, we could take those stem cells and someone could, you know, store them and keep them. That could be done in the hospital or with a midwife. Um, there's so much that we don't know about how it's going to be utilized. Yet, but right. it's kind of like right. an insurance policy. Um, yep, exactly. But on a separate note of that is there's something called delayed cord clamping, and again, going back to the normal physiologic function of the body. Once the baby is delivered, it's still attached through the cord, and the placenta is attached to the mom's womb, uterus on the inside. It's still pumping blood to the baby. That's the baby's blood, so. When you do take stem cells, you have to cut that cord prematurely to be able to take that out. So you kind of are like, should the baby uh, have the blood, the blood that's meant for it? Or do we want to do this thing that might at some point make a difference? Yeah. Oh uh, wow. Okay. But placenta, placenta, um, there's a word, speaking of words, there's a word that I I, I don't know how to pronounce, but it's the 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 utilizing placenta for other things, placentography or something like that. Um, but it's been done in Chinese medicine for 5,000 years. And, oh. um, they, they believe that, I mean, that that the placenta is worth its weight in gold. They use placenta a lot in different, um, topical agents, like for cosmetics and skin creams and stuff like that. Um, but for the purpose of this, um, in, in a lot, you know, going back to the mammal analogy, most mammals eat their placenta right after delivery. That might be because, you know, it's not safe to have a bloody organ hanging around with predators and stuff like that. But we're one of the only mammals that doesn't necessarily always eat our placenta, but in lots of cultures, they eat their placentas. Interesting. Okay. In some cultures, they will cook it and sit down and have it as in a the family. family oh, right. wow. Which I don't necessarily do right? and I don't think, I, but what we do, which is, um, you know, it stems from traditional Chinese medicine is that you dehydrate the placenta, you encapsulate it into a supplemental form. So it's in a little capsule, just like you would take your, you know, C yeah. or something like right. that, right? Um, and then it's ingested. And what it does is it replenishes the body of iron. And it helps balance the hormones. And then a little piece of it, this is fascinating. A little piece of it can be put in um, alcohol, which is how tinctures are made. You can do that with herbs or other things, right, right? right? You infuse it into the alcohol and use it as a tincture. The tincture would be ready in six weeks. And it can be used throughout the woman's lifetime. So she can use it for balancing her hormones during her cycles and even
0: menopause. No way. No way yes that is amazing way. I, I have know. never heard that either why have we not hearing these things this is annoying me now <laughs> honestly it's so cool that you can share this because I that's that's amazing that's absolutely yeah. amazing I mean I see women all the time having hormone issues and now you know heading into my 50s this yeah. is something that just is it's you know, hot topic on everybody's plate and, and to be able to have access and and to not even have that choice, you know, like we weren't even given the choice to have that as something we can keep. So the service you're providing for that, to bring women and their health into a place of stasis at such a crazy time in your life, which is AKA menopause, you know, that's that's amazing. That's so amazing. Okay, well, again, I'm having my mind blown many times over right
1: now. Well, so. and let me, let me remind you, a lot of people also think about midwifery as just kind of the midwives that do birth or home birth. We mm-hmm. also take care of women for, well, women care, for preconception, um, for, you know, your annual pap smears, that, that's all within our scope.
0: That makes sense. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. So so you're able to actually guide women through the entire process, educate about nutrition, educate about how to keep the body strong, fitness, wellness, the whole thing. And that, that is what, you know, physically, spiritually, and mentally are going to bring a healthy human into this world too. It makes sense to have all tiers of that covered. And, you know, that's, um, it's critical. I feel it's critical.
1: Yeah. I mean, you are bringing a new soul, earthside. It's a sacred yeah. moment, you know, and most of us, um, you know, spend thousands and thousands of dollars and all kinds of attention to the to the sanctity of our wedding day. But the birth of our babies, it's kind of just handed over to someone else and, and treated as a medical event rather than a really sacred moment for yeah. this new baby. Like what is their experience when they come from the womb to the outside? How Absolutely. how are we welcoming them and and helping them feel safe? Yeah. In this new environment,
0: you know? Yeah. Coming from, you know, coming straight from God. Here you are now. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> it's a little different, isn't it? Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I wanted to touch on something that is very personal and uh it took a lot for me to even ask you if it's okay to discuss mm. because it's such a gut-wrenching tragedy that you have recently experienced which no parent ever should which is the murder basically of your own daughter and mm. you know um when i when i heard about what had happened my my heart just completely Shred open for you, and and I just want to tell you, as your friend, how much you know. I love you and appreciate the strength that you have had to endure almost for yourself and for your other kids. Um, could you talk to us just a little bit about how how the loss of Sky, your daughter, has mm-hmm. impacted you now, and how you approached people? the birthing process because I know that this has been your new journey and and there are women out there who are going through this and hearing this will be a, a bit of a relief knowing they're not alone so thank you for being vulnerable enough and strong enough to talk about this right now mm-hmm. and to share with us what you can and what you want to about what you've had to go through to be able to give to people through this sacred process of, of birth
1: thank you um, yeah, my daughter, Skye, was shot and killed on um, November. Well, she passed tw- the 22nd. We were in the ICU for five days. Um, and so right before we all got locked down in this pandemic, I was already, you know, grieving and figuring out how to pick up the pieces. Um, she survived by two brothers um, or her brother's are still here. Um, uh, Grant who's 17 finishing his senior year and, um, Jordan who's 28. And, um, we were lucky to all be living together at this time. Um, and, you know, I just did my review kind of like review on, on Instagram of, of my practice. And I, um, I had fifty women in my care during this year, and I just look back and I'm like, wow, so interesting that you know I I served so many people, and I was at a birth a week later after she passed Uh um, with with help because I wasn't sure you know if my mind would be able to like track all of the medical parts, but I wanted to physically be there and hold a loving space for these clients that, you know, you get to know them so well over yeah. the months prior. Um, and I'm, I'm just so blessed to do the kind of work that I do that um, we could be honest and open with each other. We could cry and love each other. Um, and, you know, those women who have had losses, whether it's they've had a miscarriage or they've lost their mom or, you know, they felt even more able to open up and share um, what grief is like. And, yeah. you know, as I was talking about midwifery, there's a lot of joys in the birth of children. Um, but there's a lot of hardships too. And and 2020 was a year of grieving for a lot of people, not just the losses of um, people who died from COVID, but the loss of you know, life, like being able yeah. to be with people and being able to celebrate with people. And, you know, we're all as a, as a, as a globe <laughs> greeting, you know? And so I think that I just have more capacity to be able to hold all of what life brings, you know? And, and sometimes yeah. people do have losses in my practice. And so um, it's really helped me, have a much deeper understanding of what people are going through. Um, The other thing is I just completed yesterday um, the first half of um, a breathwork training that I'm going to start facilitating so I can do privates now and, and the next part of it will be for doing groups. But it's made such a difference for me in getting in touch with some of those Mm. really deep-seated emotions that um, I'm going to bring together this breath work and what I do physically to support women in labor. Like, how do you get people through really intense sensations to to add some grieving work into my practice? So um, on Instagram, I started something called The Grief Midwife. Um, this year and um, I think I'll be building on that to just you know what is it like to midwife someone through that transition as well Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah that's I mean god it's it's such like I said it's such a gut-wrenching thing to have to experience but how you're able to now be of service in a different way is is so profound and so beautiful and and Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing what you do. But so this breathing technique, is this one of the things that you do? This there's something that I always like to ask, you know, in in every episode that I do with (laughs) uncommon medicine. um, Something that is a daily habit for you that you do for yourself to kind of, you know, ground yourself and and prepare yourself to serve yourself and then be able to serve others. What what are some of your healthy habits and tips that you like to do?
1: Well, um, and I do want to give a little shout out to Revelation Breathwork, Mora and uh, Jason, um, who were my are my teachers. Um, it's a very specific kind of um, technology, I guess. That's not the right word, but that's the only word. I and I wouldn't do it every day because it's very, very, very deep work. So for me, it's not a daily practice. But um, so daily, I um, I get up every morning. Since I've been here in Malibu, um, I get up every morning with the sunrise, which is awesome. I take daily walks. Um, I think it's really important, especially right now, to get outside. Um, if you don't feel comfortable walking outside without a mask, find a place where you can, because I think it's really important to just breathe, get some vitamin D um, and sunshine and be in nature. I think it's incredibly healing to our spirit. Um So I didn't, we didn't mention it, but both of my boys are sick with COVID right now. And, um, and I didn't get sick. So it's very interesting to be in the same house with them. And, you know, what is it that had me not get sick? Um, you know, maybe the research will start to tell us why some people do and some people don't. But um, I have a daily vitamin regime. Um, I do smoothies very often with greens and um, I do daily meditation and prayer. Um, I dance as often as I can and turn on music, do things that feel good to my soul, um, eat good foods, drink a lot of water, and make sure I get really good rest. I'm sure, as you know, with menopause, starting those symptoms it's really hard to sleep through the night so finding strategies to um you know get good rest especially as a midwife is really really important for my yeah. well-being
0: yeah yeah what when, when is it exactly that your back of your knees can sweat more than your armpits I mean how is that possible you know <laughs> it's just not right I'm a doctor I know the answer to that physiologically but damn it's just so dumb <laughs> that we have to deal with that as women like, seriously, when did I get knee pits? God!
1: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <It's> true,
0: right? <laughs> so, um, so please let us know. i i I want people to have more access to you and and um you know what you've learned and 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 what you can give to them. So how can people get in touch with you? Give us your website? um the shout out that you just did, please let us know how we could get in contact with them. where Where should we go? What should we do?
1: Great. So on Instagram, you can find me. My main Instagram page is Birthing Bliss with a Y, B L Y S S midwifery. Um, you can DM me there and you can find access to most of my other programs. I teach a, a really comprehensive childbirth education class that hopefully will be going online in the next year or so. Um, I'm moving, I'm moving to Northern California. So um, things are going to change. I don't know exactly how my practice is going to change. I'm leaving LA in July. Um, but I think probably Instagram is the best way to find kind of everything that I'm doing. Um, Dr. Stu's podcast is a weekly podcast, you can find it on your website. Um, on all of your, uh, podcast apps, you know, just look for Dr. STU podcast. And, um, that's where the doctor and I will talk about all things birth. Um, and, uh, it's pretty, it's a pretty interesting podcast. If you, if you're interested in birth, it's a great one to go to. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I am very interested to see how this next transition goes for you, your trip up North. (laughs) <laughs> so to speak and Great. all the awesomeness that you're bringing into the world and thank you so much for spending time with us today and oh, thank
1: you sweetheart it was lovely i feel like we could talk for hours <laughs>
0: i did too and i kind of want to but i know that everybody else will be like would you shut up honestly <laughs> uh,
1: you should um you should invite me back we should do one on healthy um like natural ways to deal with menopause because it's something uh, that i'm really that. interested in yeah
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's on, sister. For sure. Okay. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let these next few transitions of yours happen and when you when you can get on like, my schedule, we'll definitely do some more. Together. Okay.
1: Good to see so your nice. face.
0: Good to see you too. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Bye-bye. To connect directly with Bliss, you can go to her website birthingbliss.com. That's B I R T H I N G B L Y S S birthingbliss.com. And of course, listen to her on her podcast with Dr. Stu, which is drstupodcast.com. D-R-S-T-U podcast.com. Here's to all the women out there. I'm celebrating you and to all of us for being just a little bit more uncommon.